There's an urgency in my spirit for the church in this nation. There really is. Friends, and I don't want to waste time. And I don't want to play church anymore. I, I'm, who's tired of playing church? Everyone's tired of playing church. And there's an urgency to say, God, there is an inheritance, there is a possession, there is a land to take, and it's for us. And you've given it to us, but we've still got to take it. And that was one of the major differences between the two, two generations. Well, if you've given it to us, give it to us. Joshua generation, if you've given it to, given it to us, we will fight for it. Very different way to think. Amen? So that's what we've done. So I ended last week. We talked about a culture of belief, which we talked about for two weeks. It's so vital. We'll touch on it again. So vital. So, 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 so important. I don't have time to go down the track, but I'll just say it maybe to, there's a goat. You know when you goad the person, pricks them a little bit, and if you have questions. I don't believe you can obey the Lord unless you believe. That's my belief. You cannot fully obey unless you believe first. You can do the right things, but it's not coming. The Bible talks about the obedience of faith. It's, a very, it's an interesting statement. But we'll get into that maybe next week. But you have to believe who God says he is and what he said about you and what he said is for you. Then your actions and your heart and your attitudes and your cultures inside yourself and inside a body will begin to shift and begin to change. So we talked about a culture of belief. Then we talked about a culture of generosity. Generosity with all your resources. And that's money and time. I think Dwayne said we had a leadership meeting this last week. And he said, I think it was you. Until it touches your time and until it touches your wallet, it's not really that close to you. Absolutely true. And there's a culture, there's a spirit of generosity that I see in the scripture that is based on God's financial system across all covenants. Across all covenants. And we can go into the semantics of it. We did a little bit the other day. But I wonder if you could, I know you're in Joshua. I will leave Joshua and go to Leviticus 24. You're welcome to stay in Joshua just so that it doesn't look like I've changed my mind. But I personally am going to Leviticus 24. And we read this last week. Now we ended on this, a culture of service, a culture, a spur of generosity. So I'm going to quickly touch on this and then we'll move on. It says here, this is where we ended last week. So for those who weren't here, I encourage you to go get it. I'm just going to continue. Leviticus 24.1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives. Okay, who remembers the olive thing? We spoke about it last week. Fantastic. Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually outside the veil of testimony in the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons... Or, sorry, the Exodus version says his sons. This one just says Aaron. Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generation. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. Now, uh, I went over this last week, so I'm going to go. That's what we spoke about last week, but I'm going to go through it quickly. The lampstand in the book of Revelation says, if you don't do this and that, I'll remove your lampstand. The lampstand is not your salvation for me. Lampstand in the Old Testament, I think of a, the New Testament translation or the New Testament way to look at it is the mandate that God has given you as a person or God has given a church. It's the call, it's the anointing. What was the lampstand full of? Oil. What does oil stand for? Anointing. It's the call, the gifts, the anointing, the, what God has called us to. That's the lampstand. And it has to be refined and refined and refined. That's why 
was gold. Are you tracking with me? Now, who provided the, the oil? Who provided the substance for the lampstand? The people. And that substance, that oil, was called pure oil or beaten oil, as we went over last week. It was pure, ripe olives, very scarce to found in the desert. That it was, a, in terms of economy, it was supply and demand, very scarce. And they had to tear that, that literally would take a knife or take a, gently tear that olive open without touching any of the, without squashing it at all. And inside would be a translucent, three drops, translucent oil in each olive. And it actually didn't create smoke when it burned. That's why it could burn inside. It was so pure. And that oil was put in every single one of those lampstands. And then we could go on about that. I believe it represents the seven, also the seven gifts, supernatural gifts that were available in the New Testament. But that oil is the anointing. The lampstand, the call, the mandate, the mission. The oil is the supernatural spirit's ability for you to accomplish that. The light that, gives, that comes out of it is like over the Thessalonian church. The word has gone forth from you. It's, we are called to shine brightly. Now, friends, that oil was called in the Old Testament, and the people in Israel had to learn these lessons over 40 years. That oil was called the, oil, the first fruit of the olive, which many people, if you've been in church or schooled in Scripture, you know that that's talking about finance. It's the first fruit. And it was very tedious. It's also talking about just a general culture, spirit of generosity that I had to learn in the scripture that had to do for me with bring your strength, bring your gifts, bring serve, and all these things to do with the community involvement. Amen? That's what they had to learn. Now, very important this, and we didn't get onto that this last week. It says, where is it? Verse 3, outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting. And we could go into this. And there's a lot in there. But it's interesting to me that it was outside of the most holy place. It was the last thing, the last thing before you went through that thick curtain and into the very presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory where, you know, they would go once a year. That was the last thing. Now, I have a passionate disbelief, as many of you know if you know me, passionate disbelief against the works-orientated gospel. Anytime there's man effort, man sweat, what I call it, God's not interested. Yes? Absolutely. I really believe that. In fact, it's a passion of mine. <laughs> I hate religion. However, I do know this, that in order for a corporate body of people to enter the, in a sense, the, holy, the curtain's been torn open. We know that. The curtain's been torn open. But for a corporate body of people, for a group of people to walk in something of the call, the mandate, the, the, the perpetual, continual move of the Lord. It's not a blessing for a week, a blessing for a few years, and then it moves on. It's what, you know, it's a flash in a pan. Who would experienced that? God moves and then it moves and changes and it moves and then it changes. In order for that to be continual and, con and, and constant, believe with all my heart that it takes a revelation in leaders, a revelation in people of what it means to come together and provide together for what God wants to do for the lampstand, what God wants to do for the candle. And it's one of the last things that takes place in a body, that takes place in a person before they actually start to move forward. That's what I see in Scripture. 
I wrote you, I have a passionate disbelief in the works gospel and anything based on man, but I do believe when there is a spirit of generosity. And friends, that is all relative. You go to Africa, you go to India, their generosity doesn't look like your generosity. They have time to spare. They don't know what to do with themselves. We have no time. I look at some of the young people. You know, people say, I'm bored. I wish I could get bored. You know, I wish I had the time to sit down and get bored. That would be fantastic. Jen and I say, I wish I could get punished like the kids. Go to your room. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're going to go to bed early. Thank you. I mean, that would be fantastic. So it's, it's all relative. It's just relative. I understand. You go to any underground church in China, their spirit of generosity looks different than it looks here. But let me tell you, they have it. They have it. They give their very life. And it touches all manner of finance, servitude or service, and just resources. Bring your gifts, your talents, your strengths. That's body life. And in order for a church to prosper and to walk into what I think is the call of God. Now, I know there's a sovereign thing as well. There's a sovereign issue that if God comes, he comes, regardless of what we do. That's a sovereign move. Lord, let it be right now. That's, uh, let, let's do that now, rather. That's my heart, always. God, come. But there is a pattern that he gives us in Scripture, and that is a spirit of generosity, I believe, is required not just from you, from us. Everything that applies there applies here. That's been so challenging. It's one of the major, major, major lessons they learned in the desert because they had to learn that over 40 years. That's why one of the main reasons I believe Aaron was so severely punished when he took from the promised land. It went against everything they had learned for 40 years. He was still thinking like Egypt and God had to remove him because he, he cannot take Egypt's ways into Canaan. You just cannot. Are we alive? All right, now we're going to go very briefly. I know I say briefly. I'm really trying to convince myself. I want to just take a look at how Jesus views service. And then we're going to get onto some cool and interesting things. We go to Luke 22, speaking about culture of generosity. Now we're going to focus a little bit on serve, serving, service. Luke 22, verse 24 says this. Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered to be the greatest. I love this text because it's so real. We don't say that. We would never say things like that, but often we think that. You know, and so we look at these guys, we're like, look at these disciples. They're such, you know, they're just children. But friends, it's just writing down how often people are. Now, Jesus is on the way to the cross. So he has this pending doom. The Bible says, you'll see that they would have just eaten dinner. They would just eaten supper. If you look back a few verses, this is the Passover meal. He's finished supper. The Bible says he's finished dinner. He's been betrayed. And he's on the way to the cross. And they're arguing about who's greatest. I think they're missing somewhat of what's going on. He says, now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. He has the patience of Christ. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. 
but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs, I know this is New King James language, it's very important. I love this phrase. And as he who governs, as he who serves. He who governs, as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Why did he say that? Because that was their culture. The servants served, the people of nobility, the people of heritage sat at the table. He says, but I am among you as one who serves. What's he saying? The way you value greatness, the way you value nobility, the way you value servitude, heaven values it a totally different way. He said, he who governs as he who serves. Isn't the one greater who's at the table? Yes. But yet, I am here. I'm the greatest. And I'm among you as one who serves. Because the way you see service, guys, and the way I see service, and the way you see greatness, and the way I see greatness, the way you see success, the way I see success, are very different. It's the difference between the culture of the world and the kingdom culture. Yes? Then what happens? As he says that, and we can go into making sure that it's exactly as it happens, and I can explain that if you want to know, but as he says that, then this happens. It says, As supper being ended, John 13, 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. So he would have taught, he would have said that. He would have said what he said about service, and then he did it. He says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing, very important, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and after that he poured into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, he teaches them the contrasting view of heaven and earth about how they view greatness and servitude. Many of you have heard it. I remember Dwayne preaching it many years ago. It's the basic principle of the kingdom. If you want to go up, go down. If you want to go up, go down. It's two of the greatest ways, I personally believe, two of the greatest ways to increase the favor of God in your life. Who knows favor? Everyone wants favor, right? Favor is not gifts. Favor is you are given favor as God's children. But you can grow in favor. Jesus grew in favor. Samuel grew in favor. Favor is where it goes before you. You get there, the work's done. John goes, sorry, you're just sitting up, you're actually listening. John goes forward, John goes to a customer to do a house renovation. They've already signed the check. That's favor. You know, favor goes before you. And I believe the two greatest ways to grow in favor is not so much about your spirituality, it's about the small things. It's letting things go. Let things go. When people wrong you, let it go. Jesus was accused, kept his mouth silent, the Bible says. As a, now, he was, who knows what it's like to be, to be caught? It's not pleasant. Who knows what it's like to be accused when you, they've, you, they've sort of right, but a lot of it is not true. Still not cool. You're like, yeah, it's kind of true, but I can probably get away with it. To be totally falsely accused? When I get totally falsely accused, rises up. Jesus had done nothing. And yet it says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, his mouth was silent. 
He had learned to grow in favor. I believe one of the greatest ways to grow in favor is how you let things go. When people wrong you, just let it go. And the second way is how you serve. Can you serve? Can you become a, a servant, a student in any given situation? Because to go up, to go down. So, but it's very interesting because he's not talking about people that serve for out of a, I'm just a nobody. You know, it's just, you know that people that's, I'm just a nobody, I have to serve. I'm, there's no identity, there's no self-confidence. He's not talking, oh, I'm serving so people can see me. He's not talking about that kind of service. What is he saying here? It says this, very important friends, please hear me. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that is all authority. Not some, all. All. Even outside of time. At this point he had remembered heaven. The Bible says that. He had prayed, Lord, when I was with you before the world began. He knew everything is mine. I am in charge. I am in authority. The devil has no part of me. The world has no... I'm in authority. He says... Knowing that the Father had given that he had come from God. He knows that scripture about Paul. He said, I was the tribe of Benjamin. He goes over his pedigree. That's, that's Jesus' pedigree. He had come from the Father. And then he said, what? And that I was going to the Lord. That's his future. He has a guaranteed throne. A guaranteed throne of all time. <laughs> what does he do? Knowing that the Father has, he has all authority... He has a perfect pedigree and a guaranteed future. What does he choose? He lays aside his garments. That's his identity. Lays aside his garments. Puts a towel around his waist. Gets on his knees. Takes the position of a servant. It was a servant's position to wash the dirty feet of the guests. That was a slave's job in that culture. He shames himself. Takes the position of a slave and washes the feet of younger men which in Jewish custom was a no-no. What did he say? As he who governs, as he who serves. Friends, service in the kingdom is absolute. It touches everybody equally. Just because I'm preaching and you're listening has nothing to do with how we serve in the kingdom. We all serve each other. All. That's what Jesus he says, but I'm among you as one who serves. The way you view it, the way I view it, they are totally different, guys. That's what he's saying to his disciples. And then he demonstrates it, gets down and actually does it. And it freaked Peter out. Don't touch me, Lord, how can you, you know, Peter? He's looking humble, but he actually just wants the best. Because then the Lord said, I have to do this. So he said, well, then wash all of me. <laughs> Dear Peter. It's one of the evidences, I believe, how a person serves. Now, no, not always because of time and it's not always possible, but the attitude of servanthood, the attitude of service in a person's heart is one of the main evidences I see of a person's identity. Are they secure? Because they can serve. I'll tell you a story of Aaron. He's sitting in the front row. He came to, when he joined the church, he said, I, I want to serve. I want to serve. I want to serve. So I said, great. Let's clone this guy. Ten times over, you know. And he said, but please do me a favor. I just don't want to do sound. I've done sound for years. 
I went from, you know, packing in the car, and I was like, dude, I, I mean, I don't want to tell you, you've done sound, we need sound guy. You know, and he, and he looked at me, and I could see the, the just terror, you know, and I said, you know, okay, well, let me think about it, and he came back, and he said, listen, I, I'll do it. And now he's raised up his own team, he's trained his own team, that's ownership. I went to my father when I got to this nation. I said, Dad, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll lick the floor, anything. Just don't send me to the youth. That's what I said. And, you know, within about four days, he's like, yeah, I think you should go to the youth. As a father, right? Let me, let me help you on. And I fell in love with him, and the rest is God did great things. It was wonderful. But serving. When I got saved, there were four things that were Many things change in a heart when a person gives their, not just you know, say, saved, I'm saved, my life is yours, God. And there were four, many things that changed, but four striking instant differences. Number one was I wanted to serve. I don't know where it came from. I wanted to serve. I said, guys, I want to serve. I want to serve in the church. I don't know why, I just want to serve. I want to serve, I want to serve God's people. The other was the one I wanted to give. Money, I wanted to give. I didn't know where it came from. It didn't make sense to me, but I wanted to give. The other one was interesting. I just wanted to be around God's people. Now I know we're called to be in the world, but not of it. We cannot remove ourselves, but there's a season where I just didn't want to miss a thing because they were so dramatically different from the, my other friends. There was such a dichotomy between these two groups of people. I just wanted to be around God's people, around just nice people. And the other one was a little bit tougher. I just had this desire to put things right. All the people that I'd wronged. And there were many. And I had some tough phone calls. Tough phone calls. Phoning parents that had given their kids drugs and so forth. Tough, but I wanted to put right. Yeah? But service is a big part of it. And I've, I've never want to let go of those things. You don't graduate out of service. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he served as a slave. I mean, it is absolutely, you don't graduate away from it. Hello? Now, who's heard the statistics that 80, 20% in the church? 80%, 20 who's heard those statistics? 20% does 80% of the, Now, I don't think that's true here. I think there's people here that serve amazingly, that serve wonderfully, that serve faithfully. Honestly, I do. People have served for years and years and years and years. But my dream... And I thank you for that, but I know you don't do it for me. But I, it's good to give honor. But friends, my dream is can we imagine a church? Can we dream of a church that has broken through the barrier of what it means to be generous with your time, with your finance, that has broken through the barrier of what it means to serve? What would that look like? Think about it. Much less work as everyone's, what would it look like? I long for a church like that. Where we can break through. Now I look at a guy like Tom Dura, wherever he is. I just pick on him all the time. Partly he doesn't know where I live. He can't come get me. But I, big, <laughs> and I, you know, and these guys, they commute three hours. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just, I get, but there's always things to do, always. And I long for a church that can 
It's, it's a passion that God puts on the heart to serve God's people. Yes? Amen? Wonderful. Now, what does this have to do with body life? Let's move on. What does this have to do with body life? Go to Joshua chapter 1. It's a Joshua generation. I hope trusting some of you know what I mean when I'm talking about a Joshua generation. Now I'm going to read you little excerpts of the first three chapters of Joshua. Don't worry, not all of it. And then we're going to make some comments. Then I'm going to show you some things. It says here, after the death of Moses, Joshua 1.1, after the death of, death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying what? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. I've preached much on that. I don't give it. Jesus didn't give it. God gives it. Someone has to lead them there. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. What does that mean in the New Testament? Have ever done the prophetic march where you go and stand in places or you walk around places and you say that scripture? Everywhere, the, you know, who's ever done that? Let's be, let's be honest. Great. That's fantastic. I think it's great. However, I do think in the New Testament, the way I read that is every place your foot shall tread in the Spirit. You preach it, you pray it, you speak it, you believe it, you talk about it, you read it, you study it. You're treading there in the Spirit. And that he shall give to you. He says, from the wilderness, and then he gives them a territory. Go to verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Friends, that verse has grabbed my heart. It's probably one of the supreme desires of my heart. Joshua, who gave them the land? God. Who promised them? God. Who taught them? Moses. Joshua gets the absolute privilege to stand there and divvy out inheritances. That's yours. That's yours. That's yours. It's like striking the lottery and you, everyone dreams about it. If I strike the lottery, I'm just going to give this guy and my family a million dollars. I'm going to give this. Who's ever dreamed of that? It's like divvying out inheritance. That's what Joshua got to do. He says, For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers. And I think that's why he took them in. Because his chief desire was not for him to be the guy. Not for him to be. It was because his passion was to see everyone else walk into what they called to walk into. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from him to the right hand or to the left. In other words, focus, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And I said last week, it strikes me that he was the first guy to have the book. Moses wrote it, closed the book, went out Mount Nebo and died. And it's like God says, hey, I wrote a book. It's pretty good. You should read it. And it's going to be very helpful to you. So he was the first guy to have the book. But you shall meditate in it day and night, and you may observe to do all according to that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go. Then what does Joshua do? The first thing he does. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. What's the first thing he does? He calls a leadership meeting. Why? Because if the leaders aren't united, he had seen what that did last time. 
you had the ten versus the four. The ten spies versus Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. He's like, yeah, that didn't go so well. So he calls a leadership meeting. Calls all his officers together. And he instructs them on what the Lord said. And then we think, well, did he send out spies? Well, if I was Joshua, I don't know if I'd send out spies. That didn't work out so well. How many spies came back with a good report the first time? Two. What does Joshua do? Joshua 2, 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two spies. He is great. He was a little nervous. We're good with two. Maybe 12 came. He's like, no, we're, we're good with two. He sent out two, two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Then they go. They view the land. And we all know the story, Rahab. and the, Let me just say the confidence of these men was different. The first group of people that went out 40 years previous, did they engage with anyone? Did they speak to anyone? No, they ran, they hid. There was no courage. These guys walked straight into people and talked with them. To the enemy. Very different place of courage, friends. Very different place. And I've seen it. When I'm confronted with the demonic, and this is just an example for you, it could be a circumstance, it could be a financial issue, but when I'm confronted head-on with a demonic, I remember when I was younger, just gone into ministry, I got terribly afraid. And yet then I, I saw my dad do it, and he gets terribly excited. He said, oh, you're going to lose. It's not going to go well for you. And you grow in it. You grow in it. This is the report they brought back. Now, remember Numbers 13 and 14, the report the first spies brought back. Wasn't healthy. Wasn't good. Sarah Brown came to me. She said, I just want to point something out to you. You said that Moses gave them seven things. He said, look at the land. Is it fruitful? Is there a forest? Is it defendable? Seven or six things that he asked them. And they actually just reported factually. And they were said they were, that they gave a bad report. But Sarah pointed out, very rightly so. She said, but they actually were disobedient. Because he said, when you go, go with courage. And when they came back, they did not report with any courage. Yeah, Sarah. It's very true. This is the second generation. They've learned lessons. Look at their report. It's shorter. It's concise. Joshua 2.22, they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not, did not find them. So the two men, the two spies returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, this is the report, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. It's a different report. Had anything changed in, the, in Canaan? Had the giants left? No. Nothing changed, friends. Nothing changed. Who changed? They changed. They changed. The Bible says that Jericho, you could ride chariots on its walls. They had seen that. They had seen that. He said, go look at Jericho. Friends, they had seen a city so big that they could have chariot races like Ben-Hur the movie on the wall. It was so wide. That's an impossibility. That's an impossible situation. Their response is, we can do it. 
They were a little crazy, like Caleb. And as I said, God likes a little crazy. Let's go up at once, Caleb said. That's, that's a Caleb response. Then go to Joshua chapter 3. Now, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to get into the next week. But let me just say this, because I think this will encourage some of you to go home and study it. I've begun to see Joshua chapter 3 as a roadmap of how to walk into the promises over your life or as a church. Because it's how they actually did it. But what's very important is you cannot see Joshua 3 as a roadmap unless the heart changes that have happened in the desert have taken place. The attitudes, the cultures, the heart changes. It says, yeah, then Joshua rose early in the morning. We're almost done and then we'll move on. The Joshua rose up early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came into the Jordan, all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was three days. What's three days? That's Christ. It's a very big deal, I believe, to have your identity in Christ firm. Firm before you go. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, Major verse, we'll get on to this next week. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, that's leadership when they bear it, then, then, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. When you see a united leadership carrying the presence of the Lord, then you go. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's half a mile. Now there's obviously practical reasons here, but with my prophetic New Testament lenses that I look at the scripture through, it has to be clear that God does it, not man. Has to be absolutely clear. This is a work of God's hand. When God planted this church, we had many prophets that came in, and there will still be many more, real prophets. And more than one said, this is a work of God's hand, not man's. And it will remain a work of God's hands, not man. That people will stand from a distance and see the presence of the Lord has done this, not a man, not some guy, some lady, the presence of the Lord. It says, do not come near it, that you may know by the way you, you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Go to verse 17, the last verse, Joshua 3:17. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the people crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Why is that important? Friends, they're standing in what was just previously a river that overflowed its banks. They're standing in ground. They're standing. They're physically standing in impossibility. That's where they're standing. And the leaders remained standing in impossibility until every last person had taken their inheritance. They stood on dry ground where a little while before was a flood. Now, we're going to show you something here. We're going to show you our possibility. Can we do that? This is a pen, and it's not helpful to me. Is this working? 
Who's shown this light in people's eyes? All right. Can we turn those lights off real fast? I like having a laser. Makes me feel powerful. All right. Can we turn those lights off? That'll be great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dwayne Stanley. All right. Can we put up the first slide? Okay. Can you all see? Uh, the people on this uh, side are slightly older, so I'm going to go this side with the laser. 2020. You see this part here? Can you all see? You see this part there, 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 and down there. You see that? That right now is our shed on the property. That right now there, that's the dimensions of the shed on our property. This little thing there does exist. This part doesn't. These don't. This doesn't. And all of this doesn't exist. For the last couple of years, Mark Malloy has been working very hard and included in that is a huge frustration. I know, because he's told me. Um, at this process. This, and I'll show you some more pictures in a moment, but this is our impossible situation. This is, friends, the previous generation fought their battle. They bought the property, but we have impossible situations in order to pay it off. Now, I'm not saying this is the be-all and end-all. You can remove these slides, and everything I'm teaching still applies in the spirit. Please, this is not some, now I'm going to ask you for, friends, everything, it's in the spirit that it matters. However, in this culture, I believe you need a facility. And unless you start to head towards a facility and actually plan and take some, look at the impossible situation and actually start to walk there, you will never end up there. It's not just going to happen. Let me ask you this. When the Israelites had the, the belief the new, even the Joshua generation, when they had the belief, God's going to do it. They had the good report. They knew it in their hearts. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. They had faith. They were so excited. Did the water suddenly, okay, they, they believe me. They believe me. So did the water suddenly part? Or did they actually have to step into it first? Had to walk, exactly. They had to stand in the water. Then it happened. Now, this represents an impossible situation. In the county, and Dwayne, Mark, Tom Dura, all you guys, I know I'm not going to use the right words. You can cringe a little bit. I'll do my best. But we've been looking at this for two years. It was actually just before I took over the church, Mark and I started to really work on this. So this is not coming out of a vacuum. We've got all the paperwork, we've got all the papers, but now we need the impossible situations to be removed. With the county, we need a special exemption to meet on that land because there's a covenant on the land with all the neighbors. Now, let me just say this. I'm asking, as a church, if we can keep this somewhat to ourselves because there's 12 acres next door that we are trusting God to buy because if we can buy that 12 acres... Now, right now, as I said before, we're scraping by. So right now, it's an impossibility. But if we can buy that 12 acres, the county exemption disappears. We don't need it, which I'll show you in a moment. But we have a county issue, a zoning issue, and then we have a covenant issue. Even if we buy the land, we still got to get approval from 75% of the, 
of the neighbors because there's a covenant on like 20 or 30 parcels of land. So it's an impossible situation. The reason we bought this land was there was a vision about an actual vision drawn out and then they saw it after they saw it. It was bought with faith and that was the battle that the first generation fought. They fought the battle, they did a good job. This is our battle. This is my battle. And we've got to fight this. Amen. Amen. Sarah's excited. She just, Aaron doesn't want to do sound over you back and forth. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get you a permanent booth one day. So, next picture. It's a better picture. That's from the back. You see this little part there? That's that back little gravel road. See that little that thing there? That's the house right now. This here will be all the classrooms, all the children's area. So that will be the, well, you'll see. Go to the next one. That's looking at from the, the house is this side. So this is a portico. As you can see, you'll pull in from the, the car, we'll come around there, drop you off, you go in there, and then you'll go park over there. And the offices and admin offices will be that side. Next, next slide. Now, this right here is Evergreen Mill Road. This is Shreve Mill. You know the little dirt road to the back? Yes? All right, wonderful. That little road there, as I said, this part here, just this little guy there, that's what we have now. So we need to almost triple that, put a little backstage on for the backstage. You can either have an entrance here, which will obviously take a huge approval from this neighbor and this neighbor, but we can have an entrance here. You come around, you go under that little, whatever that thing's called, portico, I don't know, drop off and go and we park here. Or you come in by Shreve Mill there, and at the back here will be the admin offices. These will be admin offices over here. And then the house will be there as well. Next one. Actually, stay on that one, Andrew. Okay, you see this land here? See where, you see my laser, everybody? Yeah. This there? That's our land. That there. This land here, and it goes like down there into the curtains. <laughs> it goes to, over here is, uh, uh, the toll road goes this way. It goes almost to the toll road. This land here is 12 acres. We trust in God for that land. And this land here is six and three quarters. If you had this piece here that Mark, so gr Mark made these plans, by the way. Didn't he good, do a good job? He's an architect, so but thank you, Mark. So the, this piece here, uh, is not ours. It doesn't belong to these people. Their, their land goes that way. It belongs, it's a massive portion of land that is undeveloped that somebody owns. I know them. I don't know them well. I've met them numerous times. It just so happens while we were praying about this that for the first time ever, I think, from what I can say, for the first time ever, they decided to come and walk around on their land. We just prayed about it the Wednesday in a prayer meeting. I came to the office on Tuesday and there's a car parked over there. I thought, oh, well, you know, am I going to chase these people away or what's going on? It's these people that own the land. And we met and walked around and got to know each other. They sent me a Christmas card. It's just, I just think God's doing something. So we, that there, if we just bought this piece from them, if they were willing to subdivide it, which I don't think they are, but if we bought this piece, that just this piece here would give us, with our land, over 10 acres. But there's actually 12 acres to buy. One more. I think there's one more. Do we have another one? Oh, that's a cool view. 
see the similar thing. This house here, maybe one day we'll have to buy that. Who knows? You know, Aaron, you can live there. Okay, next one. <laughs> All right. Uh, this over here is, this here is what we currently have. Okay. This is what we need to build. That's the, you can't see it. I know it's very small, but these are the admin offices. The, the, that's the lobby. That's the entrance with chairs and everything. These are eight, six or expandable to eight uh, classrooms for the kids. And this is the, this whole, order, this whole sanctuary, I don't know the real words, um, is what we currently have. And then we will add that back on for the stage and all the equipment and so forth. That's an, amen. Now. Yeah, that's great. That is exciting. Now, the question I have is this. It's a possible situation. But I do believe that's our future. And I, we just haven't felt at the time it'd been right to show anyone. We want to do it presumptively. But we chatted as a leadership on Wednesday, and we feel it's just a time to bring you into the loop. Now, the interesting thing is we feel like Joshua. Why? When Joshua arrived to the Promised Land, had anything changed? No. Has anything changed? No. But we've changed. And I believe that's our future. And I believe that's our land. And I believe that belongs to us. But we've still got to go take it. Now, you can't, don't go to the neighbors, please. Say, <laughs> that wouldn't help. Don't go and, you know, don't, firstly, don't speak to them because we don't want, we want to bless those guys. We don't want to, we want to have integrity. And we want to bless them, we want to honor them. But we also, just speaking very realistically, we also don't want people going and buying the land ahead of us to block us. Because it would just, we could still do it, it would just make it more difficult. But we want to bless that whole those people. We want them to be blessed by us being there. So, I've got a chart here that I, I don't know if I have time. I'll read it to you, I'll just read it to you. And we'll go over it next week. Nothing had changed for these guys. And we're going to continue in Joshua. We're going to continue. We will keep you updated with any changes, with anything happens. I'm asking you to pray. Because what we can do there, there's some things we cannot do here. You can start to carve out a geographical space in the spirit for God to really start to touch the city. Friends, it's not so that we can have a successful church. That is not my interest whatsoever. Honestly, whatsoever. It will be great. It's a great byproduct. My interest is so that God can be God and Jesus, his name will be exalted again in the streets of especially D.C. I sometimes think we've been put here, and I know this sound, people say I'm a dreamer. I am a dreamer, and I'm okay with it. I'm a visionary. That's who I am. But Esther, who was Esther? But she was put there for such a time as this. We were one of the only churches in this area that fully, and again, you know I don't compete. I love all churches that believe in God's power moving like it can. And perhaps we've been put here for such a time as this, for this season in this nation. 